This is the time for us to be still and to allow the Lord to speak to our heart. We're going to try to make sure that we're not a distraction to those around us. Unless it's an absolute emergency, let's just try to stay right in here for the next little bit. I usually preach for about 40 minutes. And there's an opportunity for the Lord to speak to our hearts. I'm so glad each and every, each and every one of you made it out today. I feel like God has something special for us. Hear from his word. Ephesians 4, verse number 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That word perfect meaning mature, right? Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We're going to look at these verses. We'll explain what they mean on this topic on the screen. I will build my church. Those are the words of Jesus. We've studied those the last two weeks. And now we're going to go to a passage that really describes in not completely, but describes in part, how does God build us as Christians? How does he build up our life? How does he make us better? That's what we're going to be looking at today. I will build my church. Let's pray together and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to come to church, to sing the songs of worship, to know your presence, to feel the assurance of faith, God, to know the comfort of the spirit. Thank you for each believer who's made it here today. Lord, thank you for those visitors who may not know you as their savior. I pray that you would convince them the truth of the gospel. May they give their heart in trust to Jesus Christ today. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand a bit more how you build your church and how you build us as believers. Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our God is a builder. When he comes to us with his word, when he comes to us in life, when he comes to us through a circumstance or he comes to us through deep questions that we have, when he comes to us even in a failure, when he comes to us in uh, maybe there's a Christian friend that you have or there's a parent that you have or there's someone who's speaking to you about faith in Christ, or there's someone who's challenging you as a Christian, 
to live the life of faith in Christ. What is God's heart behind all of this? God's heart for you in your life is that he wants to build you. He wants to make you better. He wants to make you stronger. He wants you to find your purpose. He wants you to find your place. He wants you to know him in a very close and intimate way. He wants to build you. The word build, when it's speaking of, I will build my church, it is talking about building a house uh, to promote growth in Christian wisdom, in Christian affection, in Christian grace, virtue, and holiness. We can look at the verse that we've been studying in Matthew chapter number 16. Let me read this for you. Matthew 16. You can turn there if you would like. Matthew 16 and verse number 18 says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In that passage, Jesus is explaining to one of his disciples, Simon Peter, who just made an incredible declaration of faith. Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what he's saying to Jesus. He's saying, I know this about you and I'm declaring this. And Jesus says later to Simon Peter in the conversation, he says, he says to him, he says, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, upon this truth, Upon myself, Jesus is saying, I will build my church. He is a builder. God is a builder. He wants to take you from what you do understand that is correct and right and is the truth. And he wants to build on that. He also wants to identify areas in all of our lives where we may believe some things that are not based on truth. And he wants to, in order to build some things, sometimes you have to push things to the side so that then you may build on them. It's so important for us to look at God within this viewpoint that he is a builder. Look, at, look in your Bible at Philippians 1 and verse number 6. Philippians 1 and verse 6. We'll have some verses later on in the message where they're on the screen and we can just look at them a bit more quickly. But it's good for us to be able to look at the, look at the Bible for ourselves. If you're using an app, you can tap on there and you can save it and highlight it. So when you come back next to it, uh, come back to it again, you can see it. Uh, and if it's in your Bible, you can make a note if it helps you. Philippians 1 and verse number six says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This verse teaches us once again, God is a builder. He's interested in building your faith in him and in his word. He uses his word to build our faith. He uses his spirit to build our faith. It's the spirit of God that makes it personal. It's the Holy Spirit of God that changes it from being a religion 
of rules and habits and rituals to something that is very personal. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And it is his word that gives us the solid foundation for faith. You know, the thing is, is that when I'm feeling good, the Bible says what the Bible says. When I'm feeling bad, thank God the Bible doesn't change. It still says what it says. This is the revelation of God Almighty. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if I want to seek after God, and if I want to allow God to build me, he's going to do that by building my faith on the word of God. And he's going to use his Holy Spirit to open my eyes to how that passage applies to me right now. It's like he turns the light on. Oh, you know, that all begins when you trust Christ as your savior. Let me show you a few verses. We'll come back to these slides here in just a moment. But here's a really famous verse that explains this topic of salvation and where you know God for the first time. He says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the story of the gospel, really, in one verse. This is why this verse is so famous. It's famous for a reason. God loves every single one of us exactly the same. The Bible says that he gave his only begotten son. That was Jesus Christ. He gave his son to die on the cross for us. And we'll explain that, explain why that is here in just a moment. But in order to belong to God, in order to be forgiven of our sin, in order for God to build us, we start first with this decision. It's not because some of us may have been born into a Christian family or into a Christian culture or into a Christian household. It is a personal decision that each and every one of us have to make. That's why it says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We have to believe in him. We have to come to a place in our life where we hear the truth of what God's word says about us and says about Jesus Christ. And we are willing to place our confidence in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Our confidence is not in ourself. Our confidence is not in our background. Our confidence is not in our family name. Uh, Our confidence is not in our religious deeds. Well, pastor, I'm a pretty good person. Praise the Lord. That's great. That means you're a nice person to be around. There are some people that they're not quite as nice to be around, right? And it's great to be around people that are just nice to be around. But let me tell you something. That's not the don't just because it's nice for other people to be around you. We can't mistake and think, well, that means I'm going to heaven because God wants to be around me, too. Now, listen, God loves you, but there is something that separates you and I from God. When we die, each of us has an eternal soul. There's there is a part of us that is going to live forever. God gave us that. We are all made in the image of God himself. We all have an eternal soul. 
Now, when the Bible says in this passage that he gave his only begotten son, please don't think that somehow God had sex with a woman and that's how he had a baby. That's not that's not what that's talking about. Jesus Christ lived forever with God in heaven. And when it says that he's his only begotten son, it's talking about the fact that the the spirit of Christ that lived in heaven came into the body of baby Jesus. It inhabited the body of baby Jesus. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. That's what it's talking about when it's saying he's the only begotten son of God. Okay, in that sense, the spirit of Christ was not created. He was not just a man. He was 100% God as well. Whereas you and I, our spirits, they were created, right? We get our eternal spirit, not because we were all living in heaven in celestial places beforehand, but because uh, at inception, each and every one of us, we got that eternal soul. But the problem also is, guys, is that we're sinners. We naturally want to go and do the wrong thing. And when we make those wrong choices, they are not just things that we just kind of get past and, and, and it's like, well, it's fine. It's the fact that now it permanently changes our relationship with God. God is holy. God is righteous. He cannot be in the presence of sin. You know, there are some types of animals that like to eat dead things. We know this, right? Uh, Raccoons are one of them. Coyotes are another one. And there's many birds, different types of birds. They eat dead animals. They'll find an animal that's been dead for days. And they'll go and they'll eat on it. Oh, pastor, why are you talking about this? It's in their nature to eat that dead stuff. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't mess with their stomach. That's what they eat. Does that make sense? But what if I came to you with an animal that had just been lying there in the street after three or four days? Man, it stunk. It was gross. It was nasty. Right? You think, man, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. That'll make me sick. That's gross. I can't do that. Right? Are we okay? We understand what I'm talking about here? Listen, it is in God's nature to look on us and our sin. He can't help it. Love provides the cleansing that changes us and changes our sin and washes our sin away so that now God can accept us and we can go to heaven and be with him. But it's in God's nature when he sees sin, be like, oh, no, I just can't. It's not possible. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus is a substitute. Jesus took our place. Jesus died for us. And when we accept him by faith, he gives us the gift of everlasting life. The Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we accept Christ as our savior, he then gives us his righteousness. It's like a change. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He died for our sin. He took our sin. And then when we trust him as our savior, he then replaces our sin with his righteousness. And now before God, we're clean. We're justified. We are now saved and forgiven. 
John 3 and verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through religion. It's not through baptism. It's not through being a good person. It's not through coming to church. It's not through changing your religion. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we want for God to build our life, it begins first with this step. We have to trust Christ as our savior. Have you done that? Has there been a time when you know I've trusted Christ as my savior? Or have you always just tried to be a religious person? You've always tried to be a good person. Maybe there's someone sitting here today. Maybe you have even followed a different religion in the past and you've changed religions. That's great and that's fine. But let me tell you something. We don't go to heaven by changing religion. We, change, we go to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ as our savior. That's where personal faith begins. Now I wanna go back up to this. Can somebody tell me what the, a picture of these bricks are? What kind of bricks are these? Legos. How many of you guys know what Legos are? Oh man, Legos, goodness. I'll tell you what, when you get kids, you're gonna find out what Legos are. Most of the time, kids love Legos. I played with Legos as a kid and what they are are these tiny little bricks, right? And they fit together really nicely, but they come in the package a lot like this right? It's just, they come in a pile. All right. Let me tell you something. When you trust Christ as your savior, when God looks at you and me, he looks at, he looks at our life of faith kind of like, you know what? You're, you're a mess. <laughs> there, there may be some things that you know, and there may be some, some, some knowledge that you have, and you may understand some of the Bible, but God intends to take you from where you are and build your life. God wants to build your life. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter number four and we can look at how God does this. Ephesians chapter number four. God uses ministers to build our lives. He uses the word of God. He uses the Holy Spirit of God. Those are the spiritual things that he uses. All right. But what does he use to build the life of the Christian? He says here in verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting there means for the building, for the maturing of the saints. And we can see this same theme in verse number 12, where it says for the perfecting of the saints. And then in verse number 14, it begins and it says that we henceforth be no more children, right? So we can see that God has given us ministers and teachers and people who are going to explain and help and call us into accountability and call us up and say, Hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Hey, tell me what's going on. Hey, what have you read in your Bible this week? Right? Things like that. Hey, let me teach you this truth. He's giving us teachers and pastors so that we go from someone who is a baby in the faith, a child in the faith, to someone who is 
mature in the faith for the perfecting of the saints. You say, oh, pastor, right there, saints. That's not me. I'm not a saint. I'm not a saint. Because in some religion, only the very, 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 very best in that religion are called saints. Let me tell you something about what the Bible teaches. Each and every one of us, if we are saved, is a saint. We are sanctified ones. We are holy ones. How is that possible? Because Jesus is the one that makes us sanctified, holy, and set apart. It's not our good works that makes us amazing. It's Jesus that makes us amazing. Accepting Jesus as our savior, he looks at now, he looks at every person who's trusted him as savior as a saint. So that means you, that means me. Hey, we are, if you're saved, you're a saint. And God says that his plan is to bring you to spiritual maturity. He uses ministers to build our lives. We can see here where the ministers, these are historical offices. He talks about how um, some apostles and some prophets, now those primarily are used of the New Testament time. There's also the gift of prophecy, which is like the call to preach or someone who is telling the word of God to people. But in this particular passage, it's really talking about the apostles Those who saw Jesus with their own eyes, God had given them that calling to go out and spread the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, And that office has died off, right? There were only about 13 or 14 of those guys that the Bible specifically calls apostles. And they went out and they spread the message. And then we get to the prophets. And these were also those in the New Testament time after Jesus went to heaven, where they also spread and preached the truth. And then it gets into um, evangelist. This is an office that is still in existence today. An evangelist is someone who uh, goes and preaches mostly to those who uh, have never heard the truth before. They go out and they evangelize the lost. And then we get into the other two offices, pastors and teachers, right? A pastor is someone generally who is in leadership in a local church. God has called them to that position. And My job as the pastor is to preach and teach God's word in such a way that it helps to bring those who listen to spiritual maturity, right? It's always to say, well, I went to church and I didn't understand everything. That's good. That's a good thing, right? Because there is some stuff that you did understand. And so God wants you to take the things that you do understand and use those things and practice those things. But every person sitting in here today is in different stages of spiritual maturity. There are, there are some who are, uh, by, because they've, they've used the word of God in their life and they've lived by faith, they understand some more things, right? So some of the message is going to be a bit more for their level and for other people, it's going to be a bit lower. And so everybody can understand and everybody can grow together. And that's the job of the pastor. The teacher also is in the church And there's someone who, as we know what a teacher is, someone who teaches God's word, right? They, they teach it in such a way that helps us to understand. My wife is one of those, one of those people. We have other people in the church that are teachers. Sometimes they teach children. Sometimes they teach just the ladies, uh, coming up, uh, in November, we're going to start having the men's and the ladies classes on Saturday. 
and we specifically address issues that are just for men and just for women to help them in their respective lives. And, uh, and I don't do all the teaching. Praise God. It's not supposed to be that way. But we can see where God has set up the faith so that the, the faith is staffed. It has people. Listen, do, listen, do not fall into the trap of pastoring yourself. There is a very big sin going on in the world this day, and it is called the sin of self-pastoring. The sin of self-pastoring. We can get on the internet and we can listen to people who teach the word of God and we can do it at our convenience and we can read books and we can even uh, uh, listen to podcasts and we can watch videos and we can even watch the whole service. We can have the praise service and we can have the preaching service. But here's the thing. No one's actually watching you. No one's actually looking at your face and saying, hey, are you okay? Tell me about what's going on. Can I help you with something? Can I pray with you about something? The concern is not there. Well, I have an internet pastor. Oh, well, how does he give you advice? How does he care for you? You know, you know what pastoring is? The word pastor means shepherd. Uh, a shepherd is, is a real life person who, who actually helps real life sheep. How, how, listen, if you've got all these sheep in a beautiful field outside Toronto. And we set up a little camera on those sheep with a speaker. And, 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 and the shepherd is just sitting back at home watching Netflix. You think those sheep are going to behave themselves? Hey, do you think those sheep are going to be brought to maturity? How I many of you guys have heard about all the problems with coyotes here in the city? Oh, it's all over the place. Hmm? It's all over the place. Uh, there's this guy across the street. Great guy. Really nice guy. He just got this little bitty puppy. Fuzzy little thing. Fuzzy little puppy. Two months old. It's like this like nice orange color. Like an orangey, nice fall color, right? Huh? And, and he said, I was out at nine o'clock in the morning the other day and I saw what looked like a coyote running down the street. And I took my little dog and I ran inside. Now, look, do you think that little dog would have known, hey, that's a big coyote. I think that's dangerous. I'm going to go back inside. You know what coyotes do to little cute little puppies? Oh, pastor. Huh, listen, you know what the devil wants to do to your life? Destroy it. Are you saying you're important? No, I'm not saying I'm important. I'm saying God's word's important. And this is the way he builds us. This is what he does. Well, I'm a Christian. I got hurt at church. Listen, I don't want to I don't want to downplay that cuz that that is that happens. It's true. But God's plan is still God's plan. This is how he builds us. This is how, hey, getting hurt at church is something awful and terrible. But how do we grow to health? How do we grow to forgiveness? How do we grow to 
A healthy place where we can go forward from that experience. It's not by sitting at home. It's not by trying to pastor ourselves. It's by going back to the place where it's like, you know what? I've, I've been hurt. God, build me. Build me. I don't want my life to end where it just seems like everything is always in pieces and I don't know what to do about it. We've got to go to the place where God says, I'm going to provide some staff that's going to help you understand some things. You say, well, uh, I just don't know what's so special about you. Let me tell you something. This is awkward to say, okay? There's nothing special about me, but God does give pastors spiritual insight just by simple fact where, hey, if I need surgery, I'm going to go to the guy that's been to medical school. I'm not going to try to watch a YouTube video to figure it out. No, no, I got this. No, I, I, I've got all the stuff. I've got the, the, the knives are really sharp in my kitchen. And, and, and I'm going to get something to help to dull the pain. Okay? And so, look, you are not Rambo. Okay? <laughs> right? Just go to the people that know what they're doing. They've been to school for it. Amen? And so, in a spiritual sense, God has gifted pastors to be able to teach and preach and help. That's our heart. That's what we do, right? And so we can see that 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 is true. So he says in verse number 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so it seems like this is my life right now and God wants to build me, but what does he want to build me into? If I go to that church, what are they going to try to make me into? That's a good question. So what is God's recipe? What is the finished product that he's trying to make us into? These are, this is a photo of the boxes of Legos. Now, every box that you buy of Legos has a picture of the finished product on the front. Now, inside is this, just pieces. But on the outside is what it's supposed to look like. So if we keep coming to church... And we allow the pastors and teachers and evangelists in our life to teach us and build up our faith. And we're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the Holy Spirit. Hmm? And I'm going to listen to the word of God. What, what's my life going to look like exactly? It's going to look like what it says in verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, meaning we're all believing the faith that is described in God's word. We're all on the same page, literally. We're believing the same thing. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, perfect meaning mature, not perfect without flaws, but mature, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is God trying to change you into? He's trying to make you more like Jesus. He's trying to make you forgive like Jesus. He wants you to love like Jesus. He wants you to sacrifice for the right things. Like Jesus, where Jesus left heaven and came down to help and to sacrifice and most importantly, to do God's will. Now, that's a huge topic. And that's why every Sunday we preach about Jesus. Why? Because, yes, we worship him, but he's also our example that we should follow in his steps. So if I come to church and I allow the staff and I get and I'm taught and I come to building below the baseline and I come to morning worship and I come on Wednesday and I listen to the podcast, what's going to happen to me? Well, God's going to make some changes. 
with you. Okay? And he's going to form us into Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to get into this and then we'll be done. We'll get into, it says in verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And this is going to be the last point. And we're going to take a look at this on the screen. Can somebody tell me what this is? What is this a picture of? The Lego instructions. Now, thank God when you get Legos and you open up the box inside, it's just a bunch of bricks. And if you try to fix the whole thing, unless you're really good and you have to be doing this for a long time, be able to take all of the bricks and look at the picture on the front of the box and just put it together. You really need these. These are the instructions. And as you can see, one, two, three, four, and it goes down. And it tells you step by step how to build all of the pieces into what's on the front of the box. That's what God does for us when we come to church. Every lesson is another step. Every lesson is, listen, here's where you are in your life. That's what the lesson teaches us. That's what God teaches us. This is where you're sitting right now. Now, each and every one of us is in a different place in our faith. And we're all struggling with different things. We're struggling with different sins. We've, we've all come into different maturities. Hmm? We're all struggling with different things. But it is teaching you, here's where you are. This is the step you're on. Look, look at what's going on. And this is what you need to do next. Isn't that good? God wants to build your life. He doesn't want you to say, hey, He doesn't want your faith to be half finished. He wants to build you. He wants you to be mature. Now, I love verse number 14, and we'll be done when we look at verse number 14. But look at verse number 14. I love verse number 14 because it talks about something that I'm very familiar with right now. Children. I've got two kiddos. Man, they're great. But they're still children. And what do they act like? They act like children. They act like children. Now, I made a little list just for fun. Childish behavior described. Now, can you imagine if we acted like this as adults? And some of us, maybe we need to work on some of these things. The first thing was they constantly forget things. Right? Marcus, pick that up. Pick that up. Did I tell you to pick that up? No. They constantly forget things. They need to be reminded. Constantly reminded. If I've told them once, I've told them a hundred times. How how many parents have ever uttered those words? They don't, hey, children don't understand or care why certain things should be done a certain way. It's fine. You need to clean your room. Why? She's going to get messy tomorrow. Make your bed. We've had this discussion with our children. You need to make your bed. Why? It's just going to get messed up tomorrow. They don't understand. There's a bigger picture. We're trying to teach you to live like a responsible grown-up. But they're not grown-ups yet. 
And so we constantly need to be reminded. And we're trying to take them from childish behavior and slowly through the years and through repetition, we're trying to bring them to now they're acting a bit more responsible. And when you accept that responsibility and you grow to the place where you're more responsible, then we can teach you, hey, this is how you can help other people and be kind and share. They don't understand value. They're constantly dependent on others, even for the basic things, right? And we can go through and we can go through a lot of things, but here's, here's, here's the way the Bible describes someone who is spiritually immature in verse number 14. Why, why does he do all of this? Hey, what does a life of faith look like without instructors, without the spirit of God, and without the word of God? What does it look like? It looks like this in verse 14. That ye henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. I see something on the newsstand about mindfulness, so I'm going to take that. And then I've got a friend who's, in, who's, who's, who's a Muslim, so I'm going to take some of the things that they... And, and I've got another friend who is, who's really into yoga, so I'm going to take some of those spiritual beliefs. And then I've got another friend who's a Buddhist, and they're a really nice person, so I'm going to take some of those things. And then I saw some really cool stuff on a movie one time, and then I also Googled a bunch of stuff, and then I also like looked at a bunch of stuff on YouTube, and then I did this, and I saw that, and then, well, in my cultural background, this and that or another, which we all have a cultural background... That, 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 that can teach us to make certain decisions. But ultimately what we find is that in a life of faith, spiritual immaturity is someone who is tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. They have, listen, they have no stability in their life. No stability. Nothing is stable. And that most often comes out in their emotions. Emotionally. One day I love Jesus and everything's awesome. The next, time, next day, I don't even know if he's real. And I've got nothing to bring me back and hold me down and say, no, 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 no. This is where you're at. This is the next step you need to take. Everything's going to be fine. Hey, when you're confused in a Lego set, because it's real easy to do. Is like, I, I, where's the instructions at? I, where, where am I? What, what, what piece do I need next? And someone who's spiritually immature, their life is just like that. They're just looking at piles and pieces and trying to figure everything out. Is that you? Is that you? Here's the last question. If we were, if, if, if you would allow the Lord to look at your life right now, would it most likely describe a pile of confusion and you don't know what's real and what's not? You don't know what to believe or maybe your beliefs have changed a hundred times or maybe you're that picture of emotional instability. Your beliefs are completely unstable. Or is it more of, you know what? It's more like this. I don't have everything put together, but I'm still kind of sticking to the plan here. I'm reading my Bible. 
I'm praying. I know I've got that first thing done. I know I'm saved. I know God's building my life. And I don't exactly know if I'm on step three or four, but I'm somewhere in between three or four. I'm coming to church. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to keep us. There's some stability in your life. Is that you? Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.